Hello, this is the audio-only version of the Council on Future Conflicts. If you prefer video, please join us on the Future Conflicts channel on YouTube. If you'd like to watch the show live and participate in the chat, the show begins at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, as well as a special Saturday evening show at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you so much for listening, subscribing, sharing our show with friends, and reviewing us on your podcasting app of choice. Now on with the show. Smooth. And we are live. Good morning, everybody. Well, good morning for me. Good evening for you guys. Uh, this is our uh, Saturday evening show. Sunday morning for me here in Asia. Uh, you know, I'm uh, I, I'm deeply connected to this uh, topic that we're going to be discussing today because it's just right across the. Uh, I mean, like I I literally can can walk to the estuary of the river um, that I live next to uh, and and see the. Uh, the what do we call this the yellow sea here and uh and china is just on the other side of that so uh the topic of china is is near and dear to my heart um it's i'm kind of like the you know i'm kind of like the paland of, of east asia i can see china <laughs> you had to oh, go there oh no not hans bricks uh, so since we were talking about, uh, hey, audience, we need you guys to remember clips, and, and that would be one of them. Just start yelling clips in the chat, and I'll write down where that was. Oh, it's pretty Yeah, that's, God, you know, that movie was so, uh, such a big part of my Iraq invasion, uh, hit, you know, personal history. I went and saw that there in, in Iraq. That was great. No, All it's right. A great, it's a great movie. I mean, it's, uh... Well, I've already derailed the show. I, and we're only a minute and a half in. That's great. Um, all right. Good morning. Uh, it's it's good to see everybody in here. Uh, we have 45 people waiting. Um, so we appreciate you guys showing up. Um, today's show is all about China and the, you know, kind of potential for future conflict with China and where those kind of, where are the fraction points? Is that your little, is that, your, are you reading Mal's little red book there, Ron? There you go. Make sure you. And so uh, real quick today, we're joined by uh, Max Morton. Uh, <coughs> Max, how are you doing today? Good. As soon as I can unmute myself, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'll tell you I'm doing fine. <laughs> no, it's good to have you. You know, anytime we're talking uh, East Asia, I always kind of think of you and, and you were happy enough to jump on with us. Um, you guys were uh, you, you guys were doing a, the, the Lord's work on your own channel, uh, Ford Observer, talking about North Korean uh, cyber threat, which is a, another near and dear topic uh, to my heart. As a as a cyber user on the Korean Peninsula, I am always, uh, you know, kind of that's always something in the back of my mind. Whenever my phone doesn't want to work quite right, I'm wondering uh, if if the. Uh, penetration of the North Korean penetration of, of uh, Korean telecom has uh, gotten higher than normal uh, mm. that day. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's definitely, well, it's definitely in the back of my head. Scott, if, if you're storing your cryptocurrency in a hot wallet on that phone, then there's a really good chance it's the North Koreans because their, their, their primary cyber <laughs> operations are oriented towards uh revenue generation and stealing cryptocurrency is a is a big North Korean uh, way to make that money. So no oh, hot wallets. 
Yeah, yeah, it's all cold, cold storage. And I'll be honest with you, that's one area where I, I think uh, institutional kind of users and things like that are, are in a better position, I think, than, you know, in crypto area. Well, it's a hardware wallet, but, you know, I'm not a treasure fan. Um, okay, so moving on. Uh, Adam, thanks for joining us today. Um, you know, you're not always able to come in, but you've been uh, you've been Johnny on the spot here lately, and we appreciate your insight on a lot of this stuff. Well, thank you for having me. I figure you know this uh, rounds out my week well after having spoken about uh, realistic uh, realism and foreign policy earlier this week in Washington. No, absolutely. I think uh, you know one of the things I've been really harping on lately is the fact that America doesn't know how to focus on its own national interest. You know, they keep trying to poke around in the dusty bin of history that is the museum of Europe. Uh, but ultimately that, you know, it, that's not really important to anybody. Uh, the, the important stuff is the Western hemisphere, you know, East Asia and, and the Persian Gulf. Um, and our, uh, our politicians need to get that uh, in their thick skulls, I think. So uh, appreciate your support on that topic. And then I also like the fact that you're dumb enough to have just part of a Marine flag behind you. So just enough to where we can think it's a CCP flag or That's something. Right. That's, That's right. right. Well, it's, it's funny because I always get that well, about my little Marine lapel pin. It's like, what what's that flag? It's like, <laughs> yeah, what, is, what is it? Is... I, I can tell you, tell the audience, though, I was not the guide. However, when they changed the names of the platoons, they had to get rid of the guidons and I uh, volunteered uh, to reacquire uh, a couple, some mementos from um, a couple of the platoons that I was part of before they got reconsolidated by the new battalion commanders. So, um, but yeah, that's uh, this is this is a Marine Corps guide on right here. It's, I think it's a the company guide on actually. No, it's it's just an unfor unfortunate uh, color scheme. If I, you know, well, so back in. Uh, Back in my day, back in the uh, Trump administration, the Treasury Department, just to mess with people, we would have we would get the same kind of frame that Mao had, and we would put um, uh, Trump's photo in it, and then we would sit, position it above our desks, like in the same <laughs> very communistic way. Um, because, like you know, like it's a it's an office, like otherwise it's just drear. Well, it's actually not drear; it's ornate, but like you just had to like lean into the uh, the the shenanigans with it so i have no idea what you mean that's right <laughs> right so i had a i had a reputation well you know i always thought that uh after that uh, italian uh trump god emperor statue came out i thought we should start <laughs> leaning into the warhammer 40k kind of iconography uh around trump you know and just well it's the problem with that was uh how uh when you say when you make warhammer 40k or warhammer fantasy references you get uh crickets quite quickly because either people don't know what you're talking about or don't want to admit they know what you're talking about so. it, it, well you, you know the, the 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 sad thing is is that uh more more and more people in the world are starting to learn uh the uh the, the gospel of uh warhammer 40 40k um you know as as the only true uh you know, vision of the future that we can trust. What, what does that mean? Everything is shit. That's what it means. <laughs> That's right. Uh, uh, so, <laughs> yeah. All right. So on that note, Stan. When you're in a hole. You? Uh, yeah, all, all's well this evening. Uh, I don't have anything really uh, radical to sort of start with this, the, this evening, but uh, I'll work on that. 
Well, you know, the you know, I, I'm just glad that you didn't, you know, kind of lead off with, especially the way the show's been going so far, that you know the Confederacy will rise again, you know, or something. No, like no, no. I, you know, it's uh, it, 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 I, this is April is Confederate History and Southern uh, Heritage Month, so you can you can sort of take that to the bank. I mean, so you, there you go. Make make up that what you will, but. Uh, but uh, all good, ready to dig into all things China. Absolutely, absolutely. Ron, good morning. You, you were you were you were rudely taken <clears throat> away from us there until right before we went live. I, I thought your timing was was almost too perfect. It's better to be lucky than good, and sometimes it's best to be both. Well, I, I, the problem is, in order for you to be on time, I had to be eleven minutes late. So ultimately, that's an that's, audience. That's my it's, problem, it's all not yours. my fault. I was I I had a call from uh, one of our uh, Republican stalwarts here in the state of South Dakota that wanted to vent to me. So, you know, who am I to turn down their phone call? So, <laughs> absolutely. How's Chris, How's Christy doing? Uh, Christy's Sorry. doing great. Yeah, despite despite all the issues and despite, you know, we obviously don't agree with, you know, I don't agree with her on everything, and which is okay. I mean, yeah, you can't you, agree with everything. So. But she is still the most popular Republican politician in the state of South Dakota at somewhere in the 80 percentiles. For so, now. For now. For now. You, 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 you'll catch up, don't worry. Thank you very much. Your fa- I'm what I'm going to make sure happens that you'll never make it to to uh, to to uh, Bighorn oh, no. or or, no. or a Bigfoot or whatever the town is there or Bla- Flathead Lake. You know, you you White. your car will I, run I, out. Of, yeah, I would your get car will run out of gas hills. right here. Yeah, your car will run out of gas right here, and I I've got a little lawn shed all fixed up for you, dude. You're good. Thanks, thanks. <laughs> I appreciate that. Speaking of launches, Mike, uh, how are you this morning? Evening. Uh, Hunch the Dirty Roofer says, does she need a pool boy? And I got to call dibs. Hey, hey, Ron, is she married? She's married, right? Christy, yeah. Yeah. She's married. She has uh, three children. They're all married, and she's a grandmother. Is she really? Oh, my God, yes. And uh, I've met met her. I've met uh, I don't know why you don't ask a lady her age. She is she is she is what she is what Sarah Palin could have been. Um and, and yeah. now I see that Sarah's gonna run for Congress in the last yeah, her her and fifty other Alaskans, and even you know, but um I will I will tell you this. Um uh our governor is uh, when I the the, the two times I met her, she's dressed in what we would call Friday casual because she didn't have any public events except a couple photo things. Uh, and South Dakotans don't really dress up uh, type of thing. Not the way, you know, D.C. people do or, or um, whatever. The uh, I mean, she's a fashionista. She's she's always at the cutting edge and she's much more beautiful in person than she is in any of her photos and she has a presence about her and and it's something that i think all of us that have served in organizations or been around uh you know up and coming politicians some people just have that 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 presence about them uh that they command the room with with just their mere presence and uh she has that 
whether she's presidential timber or anything like that, I, I reserve judgment, but um, she's a damn fine governor for us. Sometimes it's good enough just to be a good governor, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, you know, one, one of the things that, that, you know, just to, just a little, a little aside into domestic politics before we jump into the topics. I mean, one of the things that you're hearing about is all these people pushing these great governors to, to go ahead and run for president and things like this. I mean, what, you know, what people don't realize is like, you know, Ron DeSantis is only what, 43 years old, 44, something like that. I mean, I think we need these guys to, to kind of stay in the in the barrel and season for another 10 years before you know before they jump into the uh the national Wait, spotlight how, how old was kennedy well i i got it but the problem in american politics is once you become president there is effectively no kind of retirement yeah. plan for you other oh, yeah, than yeah, there you know, retirement yeah, there is there's, there's now netflix you can go produce stuff for netflix or you, or you just move, you you, or you just move five blocks down the road from the White House and just build a big compound, and and you, you know you and your your Lady Empress Valerie Jarrett rule rule the roost. Well, yeah, we're, exactly. we're, we're way off. We're way off base here, boys and girls. So I know, anyway. but it's yeah. I, I was just asking. If she's married because you know I'm available. <laughs> That's all I was trying to say. <laughs> she's she's of the caliber that I would 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 be. Appreciative. Well, we'll, 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 I knew she was. we'll pass that on. Because... I, I, I knew she was, unfortunately. When I when I when I when I have when I have my meeting with her in a couple of weeks, I'll I'll be sure to uh pass yeah, yeah, it on yeah. to her. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, about I'll, my point, books, I'll point out your books. I'll say yeah. here, the best cure for insomnia you've ever read. The warlock <laughs> wants to meet you, Gov. So <laughs> you guys are just not nice, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think you walked into that one, Mike. Well, you know. It's we've never seen him. He's he, uh, every time we see him, he's got a beret on, so we're not quite sure. But uh. well, I've seen I've seen him in a ski helmet and goggles and and some 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 uh, some makeup and shit. So, yeah. I think I saw yeah. I think I saw him in real life once, but I'm pretty oh, sure they taught him how to have a pixelated face in real life because I don't remember any of it. Oh, Anyways, boy. Scott, you want to take control of your your podcast, please. I mean, you know, I mean, why, why derail a good thing, right? Um, no, so no. what, what, are, what are we here to talk about? Oh, watcher, good morning to, you. I mean, good uh, evening to you as well. Thank you for, uh, for, you know, running the show again today. You know, without you, we would all be lost. Uh, oh, and even with you, me. apparently, we're lost uh, uh, you know, a good portion of the time as well. So. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, I don't want to. I don't want to kind of get bogged down into anything else. We st we started ten minutes late, and then on top of that, we've had a, a good fifteen minutes of discussion uh, already. Uh, and so let's jump, just jump right in. So let me give you guys a quick outline of what we're going to be talking about today. So um, this is not a deep dive into any one issue on China. This is going to be kind of our our our, our kind of broad swath of what we see China as, as a threat, uh, you know, and a potential causer of future conflict and where those kind of fraction points are uh, in the, you know, China landscape. So, um, and that kind of comes down to South China Sea claims. And then that, you know, it involves Taiwan, um, you know, which is the, the Mac Daddy all of, of all uh, South China Sea claims. Uh, but that's not just Taiwan. There's many other countries involved. Uh, then we also have, um, you know, in 
essentially modern Chinese imperialism, which is the Belt and Road Initiative, uh, which is, you know, very kind of insidious in how it works. And, and, and we only have to look to countries like Uganda to see how that's working out for some of these uh, African countries. I, I think we're already starting to see buyer's remorse. Um, we're kind of we're going to do a little uh, case study uh, in the recent news um, about the Solomon Islands, you know, kind of looking into the Solomon Islands and how that kind of is you know, a great example of, of PLA uh, diplomacy and um, and their kind of attempts to uh, use the diplomatic aspect of national power. Um, you know, we're, we're going to kind of talk about some of the uh, defense issues, uh, you know, especially where we when we talk about uh, Taiwan uh, and some of the things that, you know, have been recently happening. I mean, we could do an entire show all about uh, defense issues between Taiwan and China. And then also, I think there's a lot to be said about um, the lessons that China is learning about the current conflict in, uh, between Russia and Ukraine, which you guys all know. If you're a regular viewer of the show, you guys are very familiar uh, with that. So uh, maybe that's something we can delve into in a future episode. Um, you're looking at... Uh, uh, you know, one of the kind of other case studies we wanted to talk about uh, and we'll touch upon it towards the end of the show is, um, you know, internal to China. They, you know, things are not as as happy as it may seem. Uh, and to that end, we have kind of two kind of stories. One is the idea of um, the the meltdown in the property market. And there are some significant uh, reasons behind that, both in how they use financing um, and their savings, you, you know, essentially real estate is their savings account in China. So we'll talk about a little bit about that. But ultimately, when, um, uh, you know, when the buildings aren't, you know, that they're making aren't worth a damn, i.e. they fall apart, then, you know, essentially you're throwing, um, you know, good money into bad projects. So um, that's a that has another kind of that's another fracture point internal to China. Um, that potentially could be the cause of uh, civil strife in that country. And then to that end, we're also going to talk about the uh, lockdowns that are going on in Shanghai right now. Um, and there's uh, many indications that this is about more than just Corona. Um, so we'll be looking at, at how uh, how that's going down and, and what the implications potentially are there. And then finally, we're going to talk about... Um, CI, uh, you know, China is a is a threat to the United States in a, in a lot of different ways. But one of the key kind of threats that that actually is, you know, you know, prevalent on the mainland uh, of the U.S. today is um, uh, is our kind of CI threat that uh, that China poses to us and our inability. Uh, to deal with that in a coherent or even competent uh, matter. And I've got uh, both Ron and Max to be able to talk uh, at length about that. And I put that topic last because I got a feeling that that one's going to get spicy and and I may not have a, a YouTube channel uh, at the end of that discussion. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I'm, I'm always, you know, we were just having a discussion right before... Uh, we went live about kind of things that we talk, we, you know, we should talk about versus things that we may not, you know, we may, we may not be able to talk about, uh, especially on a, a channel like a uh, YouTube. 
So this is a, you know, there are some, there are some kind of third rails uh, on YouTube, and I don't know that this is one of them, um, but uh, we may find out uh, today about that. So uh, wish us luck uh, and let's jump right into it. Uh, thanks, Ron. <laughs> I saw your, your comment in the private chat. Uh, looking forward. I'm, I'm really looking forward to what you guys have to say on that, because that's one of those areas where I have a little bit of knowledge uh, and the little knowledge I have scares the crap out of me. So, um, all right. So let's dive into the first topic. And that is, um, you know, South China Sea and, and the claims that the Chinese have. So um, watch if you can pull up that map and we'll, we'll kind of, and, and the guy, and guys, the way I want to do this is, uh, is instead of me just kind of narrating through these things, you know, feel free to jump in. Um, let me finish my my thought, um, and then uh, and then feel free to jump in on any of this kind of stuff because you know there's a lot of nuance to this, and I'm absolutely willing to uh, bring uh, whatever we can into this discussion. So, um, so South China Sea is essentially uh, claimed a vast swath. Of, uh, of territory within, China has claimed within the South China Sea a vast swath of territory. Um, the South China Sea disputes involved both uh, island and maritime claims within that region uh, by several sovereign states, namely Brunei, the People's Republic of China, Taiwan, uh, Indonesia, Malaysia, the Philippines, and Vietnam. Those are the kind of the big players in that, uh, in that region. Uh, the disputes involve islands, reefs, banks, uh, other features in the South China Sea, um, including like the Spratly Islands, the Parcel Islands, Scarborough Show, and various other kind of boundaries. Um, so, for instance, like in the Gulf of Tonkin, um, you know, China essentially they don't care about what anybody else thinks they have. They essentially say this is our way or the highway. Um, you know, they. They don't uh, have a tendency to uh, to focus at all on international law. And, um, you know, this is like one of the things that really is a sticking point to them is how triggered they get whenever the United States uses things like uh, the, you know, navigation of the sea, you know, freedom of navigation of the seas and things like that. And so one of the things that China has done is create these shake and bake islands so this is Fiery Cross uh, Reef, or it was Reef, now it is Island. Um, and it goes from being, anyway, go back, there we go. It goes from being literally a submerged uh, island uh, to being a fully formed, because uh, they're dredging, right? And so they're bringing sand in and they're dumping it on top of the reef and then they're uh, compacting it in order to be able to build on it. Now it's fully militarized. This is uh, a uh, fully functioning, uh, essentially stationary aircraft carrier in the South China Seas for the, uh, for the, and, and this is aptly named, I guess, the People's Liberation Army Navy, the plan. Um, and so you've got uh, Air Force, Naval uh, Forces, and also uh, Army Forces uh, that are able to station out of these, uh, you know, kind of built up uh, islands in the uh, South China Sea. And and it's not just this one. There's many of them. So uh, before we kind of move on, what, I mean, what, what, this started happening like what, about 2000, 
12 is is that what that's about when we really started to see this kind of stuff or was it in the 2000s i can't remember off the top of my head it was it was immediately after the u.s evacuation from uh south vietnam the uh the parcel islands really suddenly became uh between north vietnam and and the and the prc uh became oh, yeah, an issue yeah, that's, it so it, back, it's yeah. it's it's you know it's so that's when they first um the Chinese tried to fill a vacuum in and they, uh, they tried to enforce it with a land invasion of, of Northern North you know. Vietnam. Yes. Yeah, uh, right? <clears throat> yes. Vietnam. And they got, and they got their asses handed to them. The Chinese did because um, they went against a, a, a combat tested Vietnamese uh, army that was fighting for Vietnamese territorial integrity. And uh, yeah, it didn't work out too well for the PLA. So that's that sounds uh that sounds like a uh, familiar story that we're uh, that we're seeing somewhere else in the world right now. Yeah, but without all the well, social media. Yeah, <laughs> right. To, to be fair, though, the PLA is a vastly different organization now than it was in seventy-five. It it, it it truly is, and I I grant you that. But it was, uh, you know, they they overreached and uh, they, uh, but it they've never they've never uh, so they they retired. Uh, and they've just, but they've just kept on going, and and none of the uh, the smaller uh, um, countries that you you listed off, Scott, have been effective in in trying to counter uh, any any of uh, Chinese incursions or or these these reef building uh, these island building exercises. Um, it, it's there's a it's always a disjointed response or a non-response or just you know a strong letter to the Hans Brick World Court whatever. So well, you know, I mean, I I think we I think the really the only country that's that's even put any kind of a vigor into their claims to their territory really has been the Philippines, uh, but even that has been fairly ineffective, <laughs> um, and they're pretty much you know relying on us to kind of help them out, and you know unfortunately some of the what is, what's the guy's name is in charge there again? Duarte. Yeah. Uh, I think I think Duarte is regretting some of his foreign policy choices early on in his uh, in his regime now. He is. I mean, really, well, the, only, the only the only country that that f fights back is is the is the U.S. with their you know steady stream of freedom of navigation and, yeah. and naval operations throughout the South China Sea, but. It it's always you know it's always worrisome, especially when one of those occurs during a period of heightened tension. Will one side or the other miscalculate, and we'll have an oops? Right. Well, the, the Scarborough show, you know, like the animation was showing there. It's basically, if I remember correctly, the Philippine Army's base is is essentially a grounded you know a series of grounded uh, old ships that they you know basically turned into. Um, little outposts there, uh, but uh, yeah, China's not joking around. I mean, between their their actual naval forces in the area, and then they're also kind of their off the book navy, um, you know, the the national fishing fleet or whatever they call it. Um, I'm sure it's probably the People's Liberation Army national shipping uh, national uh, fishing fleet. Um, you know, I mean, it's uh, they're pretty aggressive, um, and and this is something that escapes most Westerners' uh, news. I mean, it just doesn't make news here in the states. That's for anybody to jump in on that. Well, I mean, the 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 other the other country that's been very consistent in um, in exercising their prerogative over claims, and it doesn't get much in the way of headlines, is Japan. Yes, um, Japan's. Uh, 
claims, territorial claims there are, are somewhat limited. But in the context of those islands that are contested with the Chinese, the Japanese have been very forward in terms of um, their their response on right, so, but those are north of the Philippine Islands, south of Okinawa. Yeah, so. yeah. Right. so so just we're looking on the map here at the Senkaku Islands. That's the Japanese name. I refuse to uh, to dignify the Chinese claims um, because you anything. can't pronounce. Just admit it. Diaoyu, Diaoyu, Diaoyu. That was close. Was close. Yeah, but I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a a south korean partisan uh on all matters when it comes to china for instance the yellow dust that we get here seasonally and is obviously a, a chinese conspiracy um, <laughs> and the the irony is is it goes back to uh, like 1200 uh, a.d um the the uh, south korean you know monarchs blaming china for the yellow dust so I'm in good. I'm in good company here. Well, you pointed out the uh, the Chinese uh, fishing fleet and their 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 coast guard. You know they they basically um, overwhelm these the uh, the the waters yeah. outside these islands and these rocks that the Japanese claim and and the Japanese really don't have a a, a pushback strategy. They they can send a few of their naval and or coast guard vessels there, but I mean, what do you do? You know how well, how do you how do you the Chinese also well, have this mili maritime militia, which is like semi, yeah. uh, semi official and semi not. So they can do all right. kinds of stuff and be very bold. And then when China wants to say, "Oh, well, they're not official," that's not us. Yeah, that, that's the fishing fleet. Yeah, absolutely. And those yeah, guys well, that's, are that's that's why we need letters of mark. That's is it Mark or Marquee? Mark. Okay. All right. I'll go tell my my international relations professor in that class that he was wrong. That's a that's a I'll uh, French lose my grade. Deal, right? That's a that's a that's a problem we can heap on the French, right? Well, one of one of many. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I mean, you know, so the South China Sea issue is, you know, that's a real kind of specific thing dealing with a Dash Nine line and the Dash Nine line. Just in case, I keep referring to that. That is a ancient claim, based on what is, by all evidence, a fictional uh, map. Uh, you know attributed to i don't know antiquity uh and the and the chinese have really kind of as a nationalist claim have really uh latched onto that as a as a historic claim uh in the south china sea it is based on in no way on any kind of logic um you know use using the way that we currently determine what exclusive economic zones and all that kind of whatnot um, because there's the 12 mile limit, everybody's aware of that. But then there's what? What are the what are the general standards on? It's like a 120 mile exclusive economic zone off the coast of a country generally, and then that gets adjudicated when it comes to uh, you know boundaries that are more closer to than that. Yeah, there, that 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 standard applied to this region. You end up with exactly what you have, which is a lot of overlap. Yeah. Um, which which means that there's got to be some sort of an agreement that gets laid out as it relates to this, and 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 it doesn't get much coverage any longer because nobody wants to talk about oil and gas. But but there's quite a bit of hydrocarbons to be had um, in the in that area, yeah. um, and the Vietnamese have been pretty pretty. I mean. 
that's where most of the Vietnamese white tiger crude comes from is offshore there. Um, so it's, it's, it's not, un, it's not insignificant. I mean, I, I, um, uh, right now there's a lot of emphasis on the sort of island building aspects of, of, um, of the Chinese, uh, PLAN. Um, but the hydrocarbon piece doesn't, doesn't, isn't very far out of, uh, out of, out of focus in this area as well. So. Particularly since this is a region that hasn't sworn off hydrocarbons. Right. Uh, Crockpot Broccoli uh, from the chat says Mark is pronounced Mark. Uh, I don't know why we would listen to somebody named Crockpot Broccoli. So I actually think that this goes against the argument. I think I'm with you now, Ron. It's Marquis uh, forever. So <laughs> I, I was wrong, by the way, in the pre-show. I, I thought that that was um, so this was actually in the Spratleys. And yes, it's still Filipino. Yeah, this is one of those bases I was telling you about. It's essentially just an old ship that they've run aground, and now it's their base. That was so, in a James Bond movie in Hong Kong Harbor, if I remember correctly. There was a similar. Yeah, the that was the the boat that was tilted sideways and half sunk, right? Yeah, yeah. What was that? That was that was uh, live no more forever to die tomorrow. I thought that I th- I could have made sure that was the man with the golden gun. No, man with the golden gun. Hmm. I got I got to get back in my seventies uh, era, late sixties and seventies era. James, it's, it's, it's I, the one with the guy, you know, the plane, the plane, the plane. Yeah, it's, that's yeah, it's, it's the, the one area, Scaramanga. Yeah. You know, that's one. right. On, I mean, the Daniel Craig ones are the best, though. I don't know, man. No. No, mm, I, I no. don't know about that. No, Mm-mm. absolutely. This, this is go to mm-hmm. go to the back of the back of the class. I, I, go to the back I, I, of the I, line. I'm going to stop this now because I started it. So let me stop it. Otherwise, we're going to be completely off the rails. So. <laughs> this this group is 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 terrible for that. And I, it's uh, Sean I am, Connery, and that's all there is to as, it. As Enough as the said. leader, as the leader of this group, I uh, I blame Stan. Um, I do, I I I I, I, I <laughs> wait a second. I I don't want the buck to have to stop with me. I don't want to take responsibility for all. No, this. I, I I brought it up. It's my, my fault. Uh, okay. No, I but, I, but I, 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 I I I am. For, but the one I was thinking of is a Pierce Brosnan one, where it's the North Korean gold. I mean, battle. look. The, I hate to say it, but the chat's not helping. I mean, they're they're talking more about uh, you know about James Bond now than they ever were about China. I, I mean, should I just change the focus of the show to future James Bond conflicts or something like that? Or, I mean, you know, I mean, if you guys just want a, a movie no. channel, I would no, say Friday Night Tights or something is probably better for you. Or something. I got well, a spy show for you. Because those later, <laughs> those, those later uh, well, Pierce Brosnan movies were, were a lot where finance uh, had a lot of uh, red Chinese financing to produce. You'll notice in like that die another day when he uh, escapes from the, uh, the Royal Navy um, imprisonment ship off in Hong Kong Harbor. And he, you know, he's, he shows up in the hotel lobby in his prison pajama bottoms, whatever, you know, it's all Chinese, you know, but it's all, it's all done in a friendly sort of uh, cooperative yet competitive way. Um, so yeah, uh, no, is, is that the one that has the pretty Chinese spy lady in it? No, that was the uh, that was that the was... one where, uh, God, where yeah. he uh, the newspaper publisher and that. Uh, oh, no, 
Oh no, man! You're, you're bringing all you're bringing all the max the max segment CI memes out already. Don't the don't the shoot, <laughs> yeah don't shoot your don't life. shoot your wad early there, watcher. Come on now. Do you have any idea how many of these are at my fingertips now, gentlemen? All right. So on 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 that note, Anyways. now to to celebrate our 80th live viewer today, uh, let's move on to uh, so the next kind of topic I want to talk about is so clearly the South China Sea is a flashpoint that uh, China is focused on, and we've all I think it's become you know we've all become aware of of the South China Sea. The the, the way they really um, have <laughs> snuck in under the radar uh, under a lot of people's radars. Uh, is through the Belt and Road uh, project. And so the Belt and Road Initiative, um, the Belt and Road Initiative is a global infrastructure development strategy adopted by the Chinese government in 2013 to invest in nearly 70 countries uh, and international organizations. It's considered their centerpiece uh, of the of Xi Jinping's foreign policy and when and I think uh, in 2017 was actually written into their constitution. And so, well, what is the Belt and Road? Well, I mean, to keep it easy, it's them giving money to countries for economic development. Well, okay, well, people have always done that. So what's different about how China is doing it? Well, you know, traditionally the way America uses its economic development kind of funding is like, listen, if you do this, if you liberalize this way, or if you, you know, in, ensure these human rights, then we will give you money. We will open up you know, foreign direct investment into your country. And usually it's not the U.S. government doing it directly. Usually it is, um, you know, us, you know, lowering the bar for our companies to be able to come in and invest in, in that area. Uh, now, sometimes it is direct investment from the U.S., whether, you know, in one way or another, you know, U.S. money, aid money coming in uh, that can some of it has strings attached to it and other stuff is for a specific type of projects and whatnot. Now, how is China different? China is literally showing up and saying, hey, listen, we'd love to give you this low interest loan to make a new airport or to make a new port or to make this roads. Or we want we want access to mining in your country in Africa. And we're willing to, to not only do the mining, but we will we will pay for the roads to get to the mine. We'll pay for the port to ship the, the minerals out on. And you got to all you have to do is just give us a 50 year lease or whatever to this mining concession in your country. Um, and, and, oh, by the way, we don't need any of your workers. We'll just bring in Chinese workers to do it all. Um, so while this may seem like a good deal to some of these countries, I think we're starting to already see the, the negative impacts, uh, to the Belt and Road Initiative and the Belt and Road Initiative isn't just in like, say, poor countries in Africa. I mean, this is, this is something that's reached its way into, uh, I think even, you know, Russia is a part of the Belt and Road Initiative. All throughout Central Asia, you're seeing it in Afghanistan. Um, essentially, one of the reasons why, you know, we were leaving and the Chinese were pulling right in to, to kind of bring suitcases of money to, to buy the Taliban off. You know, they were buying the Taliban off before we were even out of there. Um, and, you know, we were talking about Chinese mining companies coming into areas like Kunar and places like this, you know, as far back as uh, you know, 2012, 2013, 2014. So, so clearly um, these uh, Belt and Road initiatives have been a significant part of Chinese foreign policy, uh, 
you know, for for quite a while now. And the the actual Belt and Road Initiative is something that has just kind of formalized this process and uh, laid it out for everybody to kind of uh, to kind of see. Um, you know, I even saw a headline today that said rebuilding Ukraine is going to take a long time. And we're looking forward to be a, a strong partner in the rebuilding of Ukraine uh, following the uh, Ukraine-Russia war. And, and of course, they don't give a shit who wins. You know, Russia wins. Great. We'll come in and belt and road with Russia. If Ukraine wins, that's great. We'll come in and belt and road with Ukraine. They don't care. They literally don't care who they work with as long as you take China's money and then you give China access to the things that they they want, whether it's natural material resources um, or whatever. Um, you know, Stan, we've been talking about uh, Russia a lot lately. I mean, I think we're going to see a increase in some Belt and Road type uh, relationships, especially as some of these uh, U U.S. and and European country uh, companies start to exit some of these uh, mineral extraction. Uh, businesses. Yeah, I, I, I would temper your expectations there a little bit, because I think I think that uh, as much as Vladimir Putin wants to rely on the commercial backstop of the Chinese, uh, I don't think he wants to get if anybody, the hooks. Yeah, I, I, I think there will be a lot of uh, a lot of caution um, exercised in, in that. So, so we're, we're the Russians can build pipelines. We'll build you a pipeline. We'll we'll bring it to the border. We'll sell you gas, but but we don't need Chinese workers to do that. Um, and so I think I think there's a little bit more of an arm's length relationship that will they're they're not going to fall for the for the you know sort of pawn stars sort of aspect of the uh, of the Belt and Road Initiative to too great a degree. Um, that said, the deeper the relationship the more paranoid that people in Russia get about, about uh, uh, the Chinese uh, settlements in, uh, in Siberia. That's, that's the big bugaboo for the, for the Russians. They, they don't want to lose effective control of Siberia to the Chinese. Well, I mean, that's been, that's been one of the kind of the sticking points with a lot of these countries. It's like, if you accept the money, you also accept the Chinese way of doing business. And that's to, yeah, but Uganda's not a new, Uganda's not a nuclear power. So there's a, there's a bit of a leavening there in the context of the, the negotiations. That, well, I, that, that I think, I, I think too, Putin is probably a way more canny uh, negotiator and a canny operator than many of these, you know, 10 pot, you know, African, you know, presidents that are just looking to raid as much as they can from their treasuries before they have to move on, uh, you know, to their next sanctuary. Um, yeah, I, I, I just I don't want to get too far afield here, but I just I think that there's a lot more there, there's a there's more parity there than than there are with most of the other sort of. Uh, yeah, uh, I think Chinese uh, diplomatic commercial relationships. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think um, I think clearly, uh, you know, China sees Russia, you know, as not just somebody to kind of exploit, but also, you know, a partner in, in a lot of these larger economic because, I mean, so much of what China wants to do, you know, I, I think Russia is part of, you know, the, essentially their their strategy to get to, to Europe in, in a lot of ways. Um, so who else? Have we, so, you know, I want to I want to bring uh, some of the other, you know, Adam, you you know, you spent time uh, 
thinking about economic stuff and China and whatnot as, as you know, at your time with the Trump administration. I mean, kind of outline for me some of the concerns that, that you've identified specifically with the Belt and Road and, and how, you know, U.S. policy has really kind of addressed that in the last, you know, six years or so. Yeah. So, you know, I, there's, there's a lot of, um, ADD when it comes to the China issue, right? There's a lack of consistent policy even among uh, the same administration. Um, and so, you know, there's there just hasn't been that much serious of a, uh, of a discussion about how to solve for it. And, you know, one of the places like just talking about Uganda since it's been brought up is uh, Ethiopia and Uganda as uh, nation states that have seen quite a bit of Chinese influence in it. You know, um, now that uh, basically, the Entebbe air, airport of the fame of that one raid that everybody seems to never forget um, is uh, is now owned by the Chinese as well as uh, geopolitical inroads by uh, by the Chinese into Ethiopia uh, threaten you know water supplies to throw it back to our conversation about uh, food supplies uh, in uh, I think last week we uh, talked about it but yeah. um, you know and so the way that these things actually interact with each other far more complicated um than i think people appreciate and one of the places that we're really failing on is uh what's called fao which is uh basically the un organization uh, or the world organization for food and agriculture um where china has uh, basically took the lead in it uh, globally speaking uh trying to secure their own food supplies china's a massive importer of food um, and, you know, largely the Western powers are at, asleep at the wheel in this like chess match about uh, basic foodstuffs. You know, as much as people talk about hydrocarbons and uh, fuel and energy supply, a lot of this, a lot of what's going to be uh, determining the uh, geopolitical balance of the world is going to be water and food uh, moving forward. Yeah, I mean, and, and the Belt and Road Initiative extends, you know, uh, to their east as well into the Western Hemisphere, not just uh, through Central Asia and into Africa. That's um, right. So, so for instance, they have a lot of holdings in Central America, Nicaragua, um, you know, being one of them. While this story here is alarming, uh, thank God it didn't go to pass. This is one of many of the kind of, you know, maybe the their eyes were bigger than their than their stomach. Uh, you know, you know, you know, give credit to like, even though I'm not one to give much credit to it, um, you know, give credit to the CIA probably figuring out ways to make that not happen. Um, you know, because like that, that's the thing is it is our backyard and um, it is a, a narco jungle that we still haven't solved yet. So, you know, if they will, if the Chinese want to play in it, they're welcome to play with the people that we have to both fight and support. You know, this is a, a like if you look at uh, the map right now, since it's up, you know, there's this uh, whole uh, chess match that's going on with Ecuador as well, um, especially given the uh, changeovers in uh, administrations there. Um, and, you know, uh, also a tremendous amount of uh, debt leverage that's been put into that by the Chinese. You know, Ecuador is a place that produces quite a bit of hydrocarbons, but also there's food exports as well. So it's like a perfect key example of a place that um, fits uh, Chinese strategic objectives that we've largely kind of fell asleep on. Yeah. So, you know, somebody in the chat, you know, makes, makes a good point that you can't take farmland back to China, but 
that being said, you sure as heck can uh, prioritize what's built on somebody else's farmland and then export the pro the uh, the produce uh, out of the country. Um, That's right, and you see this with Iceland. You know, Iceland has basically over the last twenty years has become a uh, protector of the Chinese empire, right? You know, the United States has a lot of favorable trade deals and also the United Kingdom and other countries with Iceland, uh, especially for uh, Icelandic shrimp. And, um, you know, these things are, um, you know, key things for their economy. But we're just kind of like falling asleep uh, at the wheel here. And, you know, this is uh, to uh, the quote, the big orange man. It's like, you know, we need to renegotiate some of these treaties that we have with countries if they're not willing to. Uh, play ball by our rules like some of these countries exist primarily because of you know being friendly with us and the united kingdom and we should actually you know have some sort of uh, requirement for them to behave a certain way if they're going to um you know get uh free things out of us you know you also see uh, quite a bit of chinese influence in norway um especially when you talk about uh, 5g of cellular telephony and um yeah. Uh, all that, but that's that's probably another uh, show f- for another time. Well, there, there's several little things there that touch on issues that I think we have to to basically put a pin in for today. Whether it's the Chinese kind of infiltration of the world, you can, you know, electronic markets, and essentially trying to turn uh, the so world cell phone networks into giant spy collection uh, nets for the Chinese uh, government or you know, uh, anyway, it's Chinese it's, were big fans of Batman. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there are a lot of issues. I mean, you know, even Chinese investment directly into the United States even is, uh, is you know, is interesting and uh, troublesome at the same time. So these are all kind of issues that that also kind of touch indirectly with what we're talking about here, but we don't have the bandwidth to really kind of get into them. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll be looking, uh, at, at a lot of that kind of stuff to cover in future, uh, episodes. I think, uh, if we ever do an episode on what the future conflict in, inside the America looks like, I think Chinese influence to, to kind of foment some of that, uh, internal destruction, I think would be an interesting, uh, you know, kind of line to pursue, uh, when we, when we talk about that, um, Okay, so I want to I want to kind of I want to narrow the focus a little bit. Can I can I before you leave that topic? Let me give yeah. a shout out. If y'all want to follow somebody who's really uh, keeps a good eye on Chinese um, inbound investment, in particularly in sensitive areas, and it refers back to that wind farm that it was just cited there. Follow Kyle Bass on Twitter. Um, K-Y-L-E-B-A-S-S and uh, and fo- follow Kyle on Twitter. It's a, it's a good follow, and he he's got uh, he 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 will come off as being a little uh, Ross Perot every once in a while on this topic, but uh, most of what is what is what is there is is spot on as it relates to Chinese influence in the United States. Well, and, and, you know, he's he's uh, he's uh, openly supporting the current thing, which means he's a good American. And, uh, and the, uh, well, we're not know. we're not here to talk about that today. So um, but but he is uh, he is uh, he is um, 
very outspoken as it relates to Chinese inbound investment here. Yeah, actually, I, I think I'm following him as well. He's uh, he, he I, I remember seeing some charts and graphs that that he uh, was scaring the hell out of me. And so I ended up clicking away. Um, and a lot of this Chinese stuff can be very scary. So just make sure that you are, uh, you know, going into it, you know, be a little skeptical about uh, some of the things that you read. Um, it's not all doom and gloom and the end of the world. Chinese, you know, uh, one of the things when it comes to Chinese efforts uh, in the world is to remember that um, there's a lot of them, but the quality of each individual effort is not necessarily uh, very good. Um, so ultimately, the one that you're worried about today is probably not going to be the one that uh, bites us in the butt. Um, it's but it's the quantity of trouble that they cause that uh, is especially troublesome. Um, all right. So real quick, I wanted to. Uh, so we talked about getting into China internally, and I want to use a a a Chinese policy. Uh, illustration with the Solomon Islands to kind of bridge the gap between the um, South China Sea discussion and the, uh, you know, internal Chinese dynamics. And so, um, so if, for those that don't know, the, the Solomon Islands are, are a, uh, can you pull the map up and just kind of show this where the Solomon Islands are? Um, essentially, this is a, it's an island group that uh, Australia has had a lot of interest in over the years. Um, not that map. Yeah, just, uh, yeah, there you go. And just Solomon Island, yeah, right there. So Papua New Guinea, that area. So you'd think, oh, well, that's kind of far afield for China, right? I mean, that's not really South China Sea. That's on the other side of Australia. Well, so like... Uh, like the Japanese before them, the, I think the Chinese have a vision of something along the lines of the, the Japanese economic co-prosperity sphere uh, in, you know, and, and, and basically want to lay claim to all of the uh, Western Pacific as their, uh, you know, you know, kind of natural economic, uh, you know, area of interest. Uh, and to this end, they want to exert political influence um, where possible. And what we're seeing in the Solomon Islands, now, so the Solomon Islands, because of its proximity to Australia, has always had Australian influence. You know, Australia has had uh, some traditional uh, operational influence in areas like um, uh, Fiji, uh, Papua New Guinea. Um, what was the, uh, the, where they actually got into the shooting uh, war back in the 2000s. What, what, what was that area again? There was an island. I think it was part of New Guinea. Do you guys remember? Yeah, I'll, I'll think of it in just a second. I know it's just, it's just slipped my, my, uh, when I was in the captain's career course, uh, in the 2000s, my instructor, who was a major at the time, he was actually an Australian, uh, infantry officer and he served in that dust up. And, you know, he, he, you know, he, he wore his combat experience there in that small island very proudly. And, and I used to remember all of us were all Iraq or Afghan veterans at that point. And we would always just kind of like snicker under our breath when he would talk about his near combat experiences uh, in, 
in that area. Uh, you know, I felt bad for him, but you know. Uh, see, nobody has. Uh, had, uh, usually the 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 uh, the chat is like East Timor. Thank you, Hunch. You look at coming in for the win, East Timor. Did you say that wrong? If you did, you were muted. Yeah, I did, but I was on mute. So, but that's yeah, okay. I, I don't want. I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. I I leave that to Joe Biden. Well, I'm here. <laughs> I hear you, man. Uh, <clears throat> okay, so uh, East Timor, right? And so, anyway, this is this has traditionally been in the kind of traditional sphere of Australian influence, but uh, recently, the Solomon Islands has been having some trouble, and the Chinese have been Johnny on the spot, right? And and once again, with their kind of hey, we'll help without telling you how to run your business. You know, especially when the uh, current, um, you know, administration in, in uh, the Solomon Islands may not like, you know, the approach that the Australians would like to impose upon them. I think they see, you know, the easy, fast money of China as a way to kind of uh, get what they want. And so what we're seeing here is a draft security agreement between China and the Solomon Islands. Um, now, so there have been uh, allegations this may not be uh legit i mean at, clearly it's probably a draft document um but south the solomon islands i think in response to this uh the administration says that uh, the chinese won't have a military base uh or any kind of continuous security uh presence on uh the solomon islands that they are only providing you know basically uh material and training support uh to the security forces um Though that being said, the picture of it's not I don't think it's in this article, but it was another article I was reading where this the so yeah, there it is. That's the picture where they're using, uh, uh, you know, uh, Chinese assault rifles. I mean, those are clearly the best assault rifles that they could get for free. Um, and thus, that's the reason why they're using them. Um, I don't know why they would actually buy that piece of junk, um, but that's typically what you get with the Chinese, right? You get free stuff, but it's junk and, you know, it's better than, for, you know, nothing. Right. So, I mean, how, how, how have you guys re done any reading on the Solomon Island and what, and what's been going on there? This is something that's been brewing for, for a while, actually. Um, I was kind of surprised once I started like reading further into it. Anybody? Well, I have an opinion, but it, I'm on it's, mute. Um, Go ahead, Ron. I'm sorry. Well, I, I think it's probably a reaction to uh, the Australian decision to uh, to suddenly uh, buy nuclear attack subs. Um, they're trying to send a message to Australia that they can outflank the Australian the, from the north, you know, on basically replicating the Japanese strategy to, uh, you know, interdict the sea lanes between Australia and Latin America and North America. So it, you know, that, that gives them quite a, quite a, quite a presence there. I mean, we, we fought a long one year battle in Guadalcanal to, uh, to secure the Solomons, uh, to begin uh, the fight back to, uh, you know, ultimately to victory in September 45. So yeah, it's, you know, history repeats. Well, and the interesting thing is, is that, you know, this, this Chinese policy really is, it's hitting, is hitting three of the five eyes right in the, in the forehead, right? 
um, right in right. the kind of soft, comfy spot where we we think we have domain, right? So right. Well, I mean, that's part of the reason why the Five Eyes is kind of you know uh, defunct is uh, China, right? So right. there's there's the there's what's left, which is us, 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 you know, or us, uh, uh, us, uh, 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 I don't, thank you. It's, it's the tripartite um, uh, treaty between Australia, United States, and United Kingdom. I, yeah, um, it would be, uh, you could drop into the Wikipedia um, if you could, uh, Walker. But, um, you know, that's the thing is like the, you know, it's like how much of this has been kind of being, uh, forewarned just with uh, general Chinese influence in uh, New Guinea, as well as um, August. Yeah, and uh, as well as other areas around there where Australia is uh, starting to be uh, surrounded, especially since New Zealand's uh, becoming a Chinese colony, and uh, Canada is working on purging its uh, its Chinese influence as well. You know, so um, you know it's it's really fascinating because they're really using that like basically south, uh, south pacific axis of uh of, of line of islands right there that to anchor their position especially since um you know australia and indonesia are relatively friendly to the united states they're basically expecting you know right now the expectations that the straits of malacca which uh are one of them i think maybe the even the busiest uh straits in the world which is in australia or which is in indonesia will be denied to them and mm -hmm. so um, they they're looking to make sure that path is open if they have to send their ships all, all the way around uh, past New Guinea instead, um, which brings it closer to Australia. But you know this this uh, the thing is like also not only of the Solomon Islands, but you know the pacification of Rabaul, uh, the New Guinea campaign, all yeah. those other um, island chains that are uh, uh, probably not as uh, they weren't well, the, such the turning points as uh, Midway and uh, the Solomon, uh, the Guadalcanal, but, you know, they're still uh, these places where, you know, this is how you maintain a Pacific Island empire. Right. Yeah, I, I think you're right on. I mean, so I, I think another, I think another topic that really uh, begs further attention is, you know, is what happened in New Zealand and Canada, right? I mean, right. you know, well, you know, if you don't mind, if I just uh, interrupt you real quick, you see this yeah, thing where they want a military port in PNG. It's like, you know, how, how soon till we see a Chinese military installation in Rabaul uh, again, like another, you know, like the Japanese had for uh, most of the war, you know, it's, it's very, it's, it's very shocking how similar the, these things are. Hey, uh, Washer, I, I dropped a link in the private chat. Uh, it's an article that I had quoted from uh, in, in one of my books. Uh, it's got some pretty nice little maps in it that show, you know, why, uh, you know, uh, Australia would be concerned with this South China China Sea Island thing uh, when, when you start overlaying the, uh, the ranges of the, the missiles and such. It might be good for the conversation. Also, uh, uh, Char said the furries love China. I, I'm not a furry, but like I would, uh, I would, I would have to venture a guess that they would. Um, you know, it's. It, it, I, I just like to to note. I am not paranoid, and I don't have a tinfoil hat near anywhere nearby me. But the, I will notice that uh, we are talking about China 
Uh, and, you know, which is oddly enough, probably the most requested topic that we've had for people to, and yet somehow the algorithm is not uh, seeing fit to, uh, to show this show to as many people as we normally see. So, um, you know, if you guys don't mind, jump on, uh, hit, hit the share button uh, on your YouTube browser and, uh, and, and share this link out to, uh, to your friends on social media to make sure that, you know, if, if you think that China is something that they should be kind of focusing on. And this episode will be a great one to get kind of people who don't have a lot of, 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 of focus on China because we're, we're hitting several different topics, I think, that will be important. And you're and and definitely people are going to want to hear the uh, CI talk that we're going to talk about, which is honestly the the scariest stuff that uh, that I've kind of come across here recently. Um, but so so okay, I want to pivot right. So this we're now we're kind of getting into the realm of okay Chinese policy. So what is China all about, right? Can I can I go ahead. before we before we leave the Solomons? I do want to I do want to give you a, a little bit of a, a thread there in terms of what I've read. Uh, about sure. this, and that is, there is there is domestic dispute in the Solomons about whether the, or not this agreement is in the interest of the Solomon Islands. The current prime minister there has got his hands full in terms of just st sticking around in office. So this is not a fait accompli as of, as of yet. Um, so we'll have to watch that. Um, but but uh, it is it is indicative of the sort of very aggressive. Um, uh, wolf warrior diplomacy sort of stuff yeah. that goes on with the Chinese. Um, and, and you know, all I'll tell you is that Justin Trudeau is a minority prime minister in Canada, so anything's possible. So, Well, you know, I, one of the things, uh, there's a lot of great China, uh, topics out there that, that talk uh, specifically about China uh, on YouTube. Uh, and so, like, one of them is um, ADD China, which is the... Lowai and and I can't remember uh, Serpent Zede, <laughs> yeah Serpent Zede, right? Um, who Z A? I don't know why he, it, in, you know, because he's from South Zed. Africa. I know, I know. I just the rest of the English world amazes me, but uh, these guys uh, really do a great job of taking on some real tough topics. Um, they used to both live in China for you know ten plus years each. Um, they're they're fluent Chinese speakers, but essentially they got run off um, because of the way China was changing. Um, and so they Chinese wives, both they, of them. yeah, they've got Chinese wives. They they loved riding their motorcycles uh, across the country, um, and so their you know their channels kind of you know they that's where they got their start was you know talking about China and and showing China off to the rest of the world, uh, but because of the persecution that they saw and just the, the way things changed in China, they have changed their focus to kind of showing the, you know, what, what the CCP is all about. And so definitely give those guys a follow on Twitter and uh, yeah, Winston. Right. Um, and give, uh, and give their videos a look. Uh, they do a live stream every Friday uh, and the stuff that they come up with on, on their live stream is just like, you know, it's crazy. Um, you know, just, you know, for instance, they were talking about the translation project that is, you know, translating all the all the wonderful things that the Chinese people are saying about Ukraine uh, and Russia uh, on the internal social media. 
and and the fact that the Chinese government controls literally all of that discussion and it's all pro Russia and it you know it's, it's some pretty vile things that you know their their netizens say at a regular basis uh, about China. And then, of course, there's China Uncensored is another great channel that talks about these China, uh, larger China issues. Um, you know, they these guys will do a better job than I'll ever be able to do, um, you know, on the nuanced kind of details of, of what's going on in and around China. Uh, but ultimately, what we want to talk about is, is conflict. Right. And so, um, you know, it's not just conflict as, you know, as it potentially could be towards uh, Chinese imperialist ideas. Um, it's also what could happen internal to China. You know, we always think a, a dictatorship is always, uh, you know, one one crisis away from uh, an uprising. And in China, the uprising could come from a couple of different fracture points. And I wanted to just real quick talk about two of them. Whoa, Patrick Kennedy for 20. Um, serious question. How does the U.S. start to uh, detangle itself from China. Uh, if we decided to cut China, uh, there are some serious economic repercussions. Y you don't uh, you don't like five dollar gallon of gas. Imagine the cost of, of of goods without China. Yeah, no, spot on. I mean, we are definitely in their thrall when it comes to great question, Patrick, for twenty dollars. Well, wait a minute. What do you got, what there, do you guys there's, think a good, there's a good answer for that. I mean, and I think I think President Trump was on the right track when he was um, trying to bring back uh, companies from <clears throat> from their their production facilities in China, bringing them back to the U.S. and 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 we're seeing the results of of those facilities not being in the U.S. now with you know. They they control production of of pick a product, and um, so you know he was right. And and let us all recall, and most people forget. And Adam, you can re, you can you can you know throw the bullshit flag down. Don't throw down the company flag there, but the guide on. But um, <laughs> the uh, is right before COVID really you know the whole you know the impacts took hold. <clears throat> We signed phase one of a revised trade agreement with with the People's Republic, and it was definitely not in their favor. It really leveled the playing field back to us, and, and in some respects, tilted it back towards us. So, <clears throat> yeah, we we can do that. And you, you imagine the rest of the goods out without China. Well, really, what? I mean, gee, I'm not going to be able to go to the dollar store and buy a piece of shit. So I, well, I, I, I take I, a, I take a real short, real short answer to that. It's going to take time, and it's going to take consistency. Well, yeah. the, the the country, the, the company that is uh, that is most highly leveraged to um, uh, inexpensive uh, goods coming out of China is Amazon. Um, Amazon is really, really dependent upon a flow of goods from from China to be able to make a prime worth of whatever it is, fourteen bucks a month or or whatever it is. I mean, so so the people that would be, and I, I won't go into the Apple conversation because that gets you into a, a really complex uh, supply chain conversation. But Amazon is highly leveraged, and so they they well, would be. Well, they it's, would, it's also. It, it, what they use to to rip companies off that sell through Amazon when they get popular enough, they just go to their Chinese manufacturers and say, "Hey, can you make this with a Prime logo on it?" That's well, been known to happen. Yeah. 
The I mean the I mean we're forgetting about the granddaddy of all companies that figured out how to make money off of Chinese cheap production. And that was Walmart. I mean, you know, we were talking in the '90s about you know all the cheap Chinese crap that you can get in Walmart, um, and you know, you know that was that Walmart's whole kind of price guarantee was the fact that a they had scale, they b they had control of their logistics supply lines, and c they they made items directly. Uh, you know, directly in China uh, to offer through their stores. Um, and, you know, many of the uh, companies that, you know, they would actually take over the, the logistics chain for many of the company's products that were made in China. So it became essentially a Walmart exclusive product. And then, you know, Walmart just kind of built their, you know, that kind of integrated uh, supply chain that they had going, reaching all the way back to China. So, I mean, it's a, it's a drug, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, right. it's a, it's a, hey, dietica has got it on this one. It's a gateway drug and now it'll be hard to get off of it. I mean, I think, um, Hey, there's the, uh, the artist of our uh, little logo up here. ZVS appreciate you uh, jumping in here, man. Always good to see our Canadian brothers uh, yearning for freedom. <laughs> I've actually got that uh, finished logo ready to show off real quick. Oh yeah, so this is the yes with the V versus the U, right? Yes, we uh... <laughs> as we lose focus again. Anyway, look, look. Anyway, so I actually, I actually want to talk about the Chinese uh, trade imbalance a little bit more um, because I think this is a you know we we did get a twenty dollars super chat and I'd I'd like to 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 hit that. Oh, and then see, and then Hunch has come in to, to jump in. Walmart doesn't become the Chinese West Indy company selling pretty, uh, pretty beads, right? So that's kind of interesting, right? You know, do these, to the extent that these companies, these Western companies that become so uh, basically entangled with China, do they become arms of Chinese policy? Yeah, well, the families do, um, especially like... Uh, you know, one of the things that we've talked about here, and this is one of the things that the Biden administration's updating tax policy to more officially represent, is that really like uh, the wealthiest people in the world, like, um, you know, ultra billionaires are practically not distinct from uh, governmental policy, right? That's how they actually make their money is uh, the execution thereof, right? Just like the, the Kochs made their money from building the Soviet oil empire you know the wall waltons built um the chi uh, chinese overseas um uh, uh i guess it'd be to its east but west i guess west uh the west uh indies company for china so you know it's a uh it, it, it's a it's a more complicated answer to it but you know you you tend to see these multi-generational trends in uh, the ultra wealthy that uh tend to behave this way um and you kind of like the world becomes a lot more simpler when you start thinking of uh, companies and uh, certain uh, particular interests in that way. You see that even with like um, the Russian Revolution, but I digress. Yeah, and I think that's interesting. I mean, I think you've 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 even seen comp companies like BlackRock and some of these other uh, you know investment companies really kind of buy into the Chinese Kool Aid, right? I mean, they've you know, they're heavily invested in the Chinese domestic, uh, both in the Chinese domestic, uh, you know, real estate market, um, but also in uh, Chinese direct investment in Chinese companies. 
Um, you know, and so, you know, to what extent does that, you know, open? And once again, that is a, a kind of a topic that I would love to go in, in greater depth in, in the future. And that's kind of the Chinese hooks that are in America and, and what, um, what does that mean for us at, at a national security level? Because I think it's really troublesome. Um, but that being said, I think this is the, the correct sentiment uh, to get us off of this uh, topic, F BlackRock. Okay. Um, so, so looking back to, uh, China internally, right. Um, one of the other things that we see, um, with China is that, um, they, I always describe China as a house of cards, right? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I remember hearing back in as early as 2008, 2007, uh, about Ordos, the, uh, the empty city in, Mon you know, inner Mongolia, um, which was a, basically a city built for like 4 million people. And it had like uh, 150,000 people living in it. And most of those people were caretakers uh, to make sure the place didn't blow away because it was right on the edge of the desert. Um, so I first heard about that uh, back then. And, you know, it kind of made sense to me that, you know, the Chinese economy has to continue to grow at a certain level or else they won't be able to sustain um, themselves. And so, um, you know, what would they do? Well, they would just they can print their own money. And as long as it stays within the country, they can continue to kind of do that. Right. Um, and so they would pay people to go out and build these cities in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, here we go. I mean, this is literally a city with nobody in it. Um, and so, and it's not just in, in the middle of nowhere, right? I mean, they have these uh, exurbs of, uh, of places like Shanghai and Beijing and, and places like that, that are these essentially empty. And so what's the point of this, right? Well, basically what you have is uh, in America, like we have our 401ks and we have our equities, you know, the stock market, you know, you put your money in, you, you save some money in your savings account, but you put your retirement in, in the state, in the stock market. Right. Well, you know, we've been talking extensively uh, in America about, Oh, well, is the stock market overblown? Well, if you think the stock market, U S stock market is overblown, Way do you get a load of, of what's going on with uh, China? Um, I recommend you guys, because uh, we're not going to be able to get into in, in detail here about it today, but, you know, Google Evergreen China, uh, or no, it's Evergrande uh, China. And this is a essentially a, a company that does nothing but uh, property development and property investment uh, in China. And here, like, for instance, these are some of the firms that are involved uh, with this whole problem beyond Evergrande, which is the Shimao Group, the Kaisa Group. the Chin I mean, these these companies literally take money by regular people in China and invest it into these, you know, these these buildings are almost made of styrofoam. They're so, uh, you know, they're so, you know, useless. Um, and they're all empty. Um, so it's all a it's all a bubble, and eventually the bubble is going to pop. And when that happens, it's essentially the house of card in China is going to is going to fall apart. And uh, and I, I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Well, um, I'll remind us all that that at one point, if you're old enough to recall this, 
that at one point uh, we took the entire savings and loan industry in the United States and we shoved it into something called the Resolution Trust Corporation and we sold it for pennies on the dollar mm-hmm. to uh, to friends of the U.S. government and 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 uh, senators in Arizona. Um, so it's uh, it's uh, it's not like this has not happened before, uh, and it's also not like we didn't go through a housing bubble uh, into 2007 and eight. Um, so yeah, there has been over speculation in the real estate market in China. And like all things, as it relates to China, when you're talking with that sort of a population, the numbers become exponential pretty quickly. But the thing that is um, pretty consistent from a Chinese policy perspective is that they've got control over wide swaths of the economy. Because prior to the real estate bubble that you're talking about, yeah, there, there was a series of loan crises to state-owned industries. So if I take you up to um, Shenyang or, or, or Liaoning province or the Chinese Rust Belt, the transition of uh, China as a manufacturing uh, power was initially through the revitalization of traditional state-owned industries in places like Liaoning and, and, and other places in the Chinese Rust Belt. And and the Central Bank of China lent them money willy-nilly to try to keep them afloat and not lay anybody off, which was the other mandate that they had. So the importance of GDP growth in China is not just economic, but it's also political. As a one-party state, there are expectations that they've created amongst the populace. And this goes back to when hundreds of millions of people moved from agricultural areas into the cities. Uh, They have to maintain a pace of growth um, in order to try to meet those expectations. Otherwise, they risk political unrest. So they've got a lot of levers to play here. And they're going to play it. And and part of what you see in the context of the balancing of the balance sheet in China is whenever a Chinese tech company gets a little bit too big for its britches, investors that are associated with state-owned industries end up owning big pieces of it. Has anybody seen Jack Ma in the last six months? Anybody remember yeah. Jack Ma? Okay. So Jack Ma's empire is now effectively state-controlled. And if you don't believe me, you can look it up on the internet. Well, so, the, the, yeah, no, I think the irony is their stand is that it always was state controlled. Jack Ma just didn't realize it. Well, it's state owned. It was state controlled all along. It's now state owned. Okay, yeah. and so that that's the difference. And that is, thank you very much. I mean, the the implicit deal, and this is part of the book that is in draft form, as we or at least out in outline form. And that is when Deng Xiaoping said, "It's glorious to get rich." He didn't add the codicil that says, but only to a certain point, at which point we're happy to have you turn that over to the Chinese Communist Party. And what and what really the guy at TikTok is another example. Really successful entrepreneurs in China have figured out that they've learned is that if you hang around long enough, uh, you're going to be nationalized either in fact or in uh, or in name or in fact. And so that's that's the sort of harvest of the capitalistic drive that goes on in the context of uh, of entrepreneurship in China. 
Yeah, you you know, for the life of me, I can't understand why a company like Tesla wants to expand so aggressively in China in into in today. I mean, if this was ten years ago, I would maybe get it uh, because the writing wasn't on the wall as much. I mean, I think people like of our ilk that is are distrustful of of authoritarian countries like China. We would have always had warned against something like this, but the fact that um, you know, literally, you know, Elon Musk has made statements within the last year that are very, you know, praiseworthy uh, to, you know, his ability to uh, operate within China. Um, and so I, I, I don't quite get it. The only thing I can figure, right, is that Elon Musk sees his, the keys to his kingdom as software and not hardware. And so essentially he could say, well, it doesn't matter if they have a bunch of Teslas, if I can brick every one of them. Go ahead, whoever was gonna say that. I was gonna say, he he does a lot of his stuff open source in the first place where he just flat out gives away the plans. Like he's, he's made it pretty clear that his own personal reasoning for doing so is that he just wants humanity to get off this ball of mud. Um, and so he's, he's, he's shared a ton of the plans for a bunch of the different things that they do internally at SpaceX. I also, I also think you're over, uh, valuing rationality and patriotism for Elon Musk. Um, you know, for, for, for reasons that are like worth of another story. It's like, you know, the, the, he's, you know, the United States is where he landed. It's not where he, you know, it's not the place he cares about necessarily so you know it's so like you know this is this is also talking about electric cars which is a whole another issue is that you know there's going to be an arms race to whoever can deep uh de it before a real conflict ever occurs if one ever occurs between the united states and china is who can uh uh decrease their um, dependence on uh, burning fuel as much as possible. And the United States can do it far more than the uh, Chinese can. Um, and we could still have most of our fuel coming from the Americas, whereas the Chinese will have to ship it overseas for the most part. You know, yeah. so, like there's a whole, there's a whole alternative arms race that's going in uh, to the technology that is not necessarily, um, not necessarily the thing that you actually would be using day to day. Uh, that's going on. And I, I think really like, you know, middle manning billionaires are like, you know, they're about as loyal as you could expect a middle, middle manning billionaire would be, you know, so there's, you know, he may not be a construct of the state, but he operates between multiple states who all want to get his technology and he wants to make money from them. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're right. I think, um, you know, a lot of people look to Elon Musk to solve their problems, whether it's social media or rockets or electric cars or whatever it is. Elon Musk is not the guy, you know, to to put your hopes and dreams into. He he's a he's I, I trust him to be greedy and brilliant and um, but not necessarily interested in the U.S. national security or or the U.S. you know interests. Right. So he's I think you're, you're forward like he. You know, uh, his company is notorious for uh, underpaying engineers. So it's like, if you really care about going to Mars, why would you be so cheap? You know, so uh, maybe it's because he doesn't well, care I, about Mars. But I think there's, I think there's another perspective on this, and that is, if you look back at, at the history of the the Cold War, um, and even go back to Nazi Germany. 
there's always been an American entrepreneur who's been able to sort of strike a balance with those guys on the other side, okay? Or, or American companies who've been able to sort of operate. You talked about the Cokes. I, by, my, in my mind, the better example was Occidental Petroleum and Arm and Hammer uh, with the Soviet Union. I mean, he was able to function in that in in that circumstance reasonably well. I think Elon Musk is that guy as mm-hmm. it relates to China. Now, you could argue that it's Tim Cook, given Apple's footprint there, but Elon gets more headlines than Tim Cook does by design. Yeah. Uh, but but there, there's always this ability to sort of straddle that line in terms of who needs whom more at, uh, in, in that circumstance. And there's things the Chinese want from Elon. And when they don't want him anymore, that's when he needs to be careful. No, I think you're right on, Stan. And, you know, well, there's something to be said, though. You know, if if this is true, if Elon does, in fact, glow, then that makes his uh, his penetration of the Chinese market potentially an asset to U.S. interests if, you know, if things were to go that way, um, you know, because as a he's a U.S. citizen. So, uh, you know, he, we do have the ability to compel him in ways that, say, China couldn't do. So, well, yeah, Elon's South African extraction. That's right. true. His that's uh, true. and that's the thing, too, is like a lot of the PayPal mafia types are all um, displaced elites from uh, the apartheid. other country. From yeah, the yeah. apartheid government, like so, these people have access to grind against the English-speaking world. So, like you know, like salt to taste, but like I'm, you know, you gotta you gotta realize that these people these people aren't necessarily gonna be holding the interest of America in uh, as highly necessarily. So you know, that's sort of like uh, I mean, like there's just many such cases. I could list off multiple South African. Uh, billionaires um, who are uh, connected to Zambian emerald mines and things like that and how much of their money is washed uh, through the financial system yeah I think I think it's 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 <laughs> it's well well look I mean he's not he's not a saint and if and if you're if your worldview is such that you require him to be a saint for you to be a fanboy then you've got bigger problems to begin with so just yeah. recognize that Elon's going to act in Elon's interest. You need to act in your interest. And, and and there will be areas where, you know, you can rightfully praise what Elon does. And there'll be other areas where you say, you know, WTF. And, and so nobody is nobody is pure as a driven snow on any side of this discussion. So just take it for what it's worth. Um, I was hoping Max would be able... Uh, he, he had, he, he dropped off and he, uh, um, he, he, he dropped off cause he lost his internet connection. He was trying to get on with this hotspot. And so I was hoping we could get him back here, um, to talk the CI bit. Um, but, you know, speaking of CI, I think Elon's a good kind of point of entry into this, uh, um, uh, because, you know, a lot of these business people are, you know, are being preyed upon by um, by China to 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 make uh, to make hay, right? For for the Chinese government, and 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 so they're either assets or they are leveraged by other people who are assets. Um, you know, there's the meme. You know, and this they they get close to political people who then become uh, potentially assets, and so. I mean, this CI thing, whoa, 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 we got, uh, 
the world traveler here? Is he is he is he going to re resolve? Joe, are you there? Uh, I am. I don't know how reliable my connection is up here on this mountainside, but what's well, happening? It's better than Max's. Max, uh, we lost Max, so uh, you you came just in time. We were getting ready to start talking about the counterintelligence uh, ch challenge that we face with uh, with China. Uh, See, summoned me right then. How how is your how's your trip going? By the way, that was pretty outstanding. We we've enjoyed seeing your kind of uh, your roadshot uh, tweets. I, I but, trust um, that uh, unlike I'll me, you... go, go ahead, ahead, Joe. Scott. No, no, I, I interrupted you. Yeah. Were robot in there for a second. I was just saying that my 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 connection was fading in and out. Okay. Go ahead. No, all right. Well, anyway, we we're we we're just getting ready to jump into the uh, the the CI topic. So, Ron, I mean, Max isn't here to 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 kind of head this off so i'll i'll give i'll give it to you to kind of articulate some of the challenges with this because man it is a it, it's a doozy yeah it is um <clears throat> i mean we uh we just had the department of justice close down their uh <clears throat> their their chinese um counterintelligence uh office i don't, I don't know what the exact name title of it is but um they um, they uh, they fell victim to uh, Chinese active measures where any, anything that's against China is obviously racist against the Chinese people. <clears throat> and um, you know it's it's we we've done a lousy job of, of differentiating between the the Chinese people and the government of China. Um, I mean we you know we started to do that a little bit under the Trump administration. <clears throat> closing the, uh, I think, what was it, the one consulate in Texas and starting to add, you know, make known the uh, these Confucius Institutes on various college campuses that are uh, basically uh, Chinese influence operations and, and, and basis for uh, low-level intelligence gathering, uh, spotting and assessing of potential people. It's Oxford and Cambridge in the 30s. <clears throat> exactly. Without without the homosexuality parties, yeah, it's great. Um, <laughs> I wasn't there. I, <clears throat> well, okay, well, neither was I. But, um, <clears throat> but uh, I mean, it, and we have a, a an extraordinarily um, well uh, well funded, uh, uh, basically a, a blunt. For, uh, what is it? A what is it like with the, when in cyber they do? Uh, just a, a giant, you know, blunt force EDF, attack on denial of service. Yeah, right. But we we have a large, uh, of, you know, the Chinese are are, are flooding the uh, the battle space. In this case, the the United States of America, um, with with low level intelligence assets that are trained to do one thing: spot and assess up and coming uh, people of 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 influence. Um, so we can we can watch them, develop them, possibly recruit them. And here we have our number one candidate, um, the congressman of renown, um, Eric Swalwell, who, uh, you know, when he was first spotted and assessed by, uh, what's her face? Fang Fang. Yeah, whatever. Um, I mean, he was a, he was a some podunk, low-level city councilman in some no-name Northern California town, and and but they they saw something in him, and they. 
they 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 massaged him they worked him i, I mean you know if max were here he'd tell you this is this is a standard intelligence operation of any country i mean we do it too we uh we spot and assess up and coming politicians and and military uh, officers uh, in other in in nations of interest, and we we keep an eye on them. Uh, we possibly recruit them, uh, not to spy on their own countries, but to uh, just you know be be more friendly towards us. <clears throat> the uh, so it's you know, but the Chinese are very good at that, and they they spread a lot of money around. They uh, you know, we, we've seen, um, you know, Congress basically, whenever anything comes up with China, the Congress plays roll over and tickle me Elmo. The, um, and the Chinese also have surrogates that do a lot of their collection for them. Uh, we have the Pakistanis, of course, and we saw the big Pakistani hack job of uh, the congressional uh, um, laptops and servers. The, uh, the DNC. Well, and well, I'm talking about Congress, you know, the, yeah. you know, the, the you know, but, um, but yeah, so the, we saw that it? and then we Congresswoman, what's her name down in Florida? Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Yes. Yeah, her office was ground zero for that. Exactly. And, and the, wasn't and the, somebody's the, driver, a Chinese spy for, well, that's, that's, secret, that's, that's, that's Senator Feinstein of California. Hmm. Um, but so, but we, but these are all good examples of the um, the width and breadth and scope of, of the Chinese efforts to, you know, they don't have to be like, you know, in the middle of the, you know, the secret war room in, in the Pentagon or whatever. But even if this, this driver, through the course of his years of driving for uh, for Senator Feinstein, if he only picked up one tidbit in all that time, it was worth it. Um so yeah, and and the back to the Pakistanis though that that's um, did the the computer hacks on on Congress, you know that that prosecution the whole thing just sort of faded away and and the Pakistanis were able to leave the country with their families and there was no punishment and everything was swept under the rug. There's, I mean I can't begin to tell you how how um, exhausting um, fighting against the Chinese. Uh, intelligence collection efforts are here in the United States and overseas, uh, especially with uh, a, a compromised FBI that's in under this administration is not allowed to uh, to fully fight that threat. And really, they don't have the the uh, the training or the um, or the the personnel to do that. The, uh, the a lot of the uh, the the Cold War CI guys have uh, and gals have uh, have left. They've retired, and of course, you know we, you know, just to you know make Scott totally go, uh, you know, do day drinking in Korea, is um, <laughs> you know, they're not the only ones that spy on us. Uh, I mean, every single country, whether it's friendly to us or 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 a competitor towards us or an enemy of us are spying on us and they're spying heavily because we are the golden goose. We, we, we are the ones that lay the golden eggs and um, they're always trying to figure out because every country is looking out for its own interests. I mean, we have a very heavy uh, French intelligence collection effort going on in the United States. The Israelis with, you know, are, you know, they're the masters of this, even the British, you know, pick any country. I mean, um, 
my wife's a retired army counterintelligence officer. I mean, some of the, some of the stories she would tell me that she could tell me um, were just shocking because I thought they were our friends, my, my naivety. Um, when she was um, working um, on a special uh, counterintelligence project, um, she caught um, both Chinese and Israeli attempted penetrations of the CIA. Uh, people um, trying to get in. They were trained to beat the polygraph, but you know she was able to uh, catch them, and and they're they're making uh, little rocks out of big rocks somewhere in uh, Kansas now. So, anyways, I wish Max was here because uh, he he could add a little bit more to it than I can. Yeah, yeah. This this was the uh, the thing that <clears throat> I know that he was pretty passionate about when we were we were discussing in the in the private chat this week. So right. Uh, well, um, I, I I could also add that even even when we were in in Afghanistan and Iraq. Besides the usual, you know, the Taliban and, and Al Qaeda and and ISIS, whatever that week, trying to collect against us, you know, obviously in Iraq we had the Iranians, and and in Western Afghanistan we had the uh, heavy Iranian collection effort, and in Kabul also uh, Chinese efforts. It was, I mean, it was it was tough, and and you know now you're dealing with a bunch of uh, you know young soldiers that are trying to do stuff or or. And they're talking and, you know, you go to the green beans or all that, all those uh, third country nationals that are working there at the, at the souk or the, uh, you know, whatever the souvenir stands that we all built at Balad and, and Bagram and Kandahar and what all, you know, half those people are, uh, they're just low level collectors. They're, I mean, they're not, they're not trained intelligence officers or anything like that. They're just, they just report. Yeah. You know, so, you know, we, some guys came into the, uh, the, the Ruby Tuesdays here in, in, in Kandahar and, you know, at the, and, uh, yeah, we had a Ruby Tuesdays in Kandahar. God damn it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a stupid way to fight a war. And, uh, they were talking about this and that, and, you know, it may not be nothing, but it, it tends to augment whatever there's open source reporting that's out there that these countries that are collecting against us are, uh, you know, so it, it adds little, little detail, little nuance, little meat to that product that they have. So it's, you know, and if anybody indicates like, yeah, you know, there I was deep in the heart of the skiff, you know, we were, we were dealing with this special project. Oh, so you know, let's follow him around. So, you know, it's, it, yeah. it's a constant problem. I, I, I'd always, there was always <clears throat> this kind of like local lore in Korea when I was working at eighth army that anybody who has uh if you're if you're like an O4 above and you have any interaction with uh, South Korean army officers on a regular basis, there is a file that uh, the South Korean army puts together uh, just for the, just so that North Koreans can steal it because everything that the South has, the North has. And so it was just always something that we would joke about, you know, like talking about, uh, you know, we should we should tell, uh, you know, fish stories uh, uh next time we're hanging out with our rock army counterparts you know just to see what we can get in our file uh it's it's yeah i mean it you you really develop a strong um if you're if you're if you're if you're switched on you develop a strong ci sense and uh you know even if you're not a trained intelligence officer you you need to develop you know you know the army teaches what is it saida or whatever it used to be yeah. and, and uh, um, you know, just little counterintelligence awareness and, um, you know, keep your keep your mouth shut private. You really don't need to be talking about, you know, what you guys are doing out there and, 
and things like that. Nobody, nobody cares. Tell, well, to, you know, the, talk to mom and dad when you go home. My my personal experience with that is, you know, <laughs> as, as a as a PO was, you know, you know, we're always kind of protecting against open source collection. Uh, you know, just through you know the angles of the pictures that we shoot at the, you know, and and you know the things that are in the background of, you know. You know that that's a great uh, picture of uh, this general putting a uh, you know somebody something on a soldier and there's you know gripping grin. But you know if you're showing your entry control point or whatever in the backdrop, uh, you know. And the 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 funny thing is, is there's several really great examples of uh, of uh, enlistment ceremonies that have caught classified information in the background. Um, you know, so there is a there is a base in Asadabad, I'm sure that you know about that had a mountain in the backside of it, that if you go up that mountain, you had a great view of that base, you know, and, and you know, we can since we controlled that mountain behind it, you know, the you know, bad guys couldn't get that view. And there were enlistment ceremonies up on that mountain. And so <laughs> you, you know I, what I've I'm never, talking I, about, Ron. I've never been to Camp Wright. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Yeah, exactly right. Well, it's not there anymore, so we don't have to worry about that. No, that's this is true. But yeah, it's yeah. I mean, there's we we do a lot of things, you know, that look good at, at the beginning, but you know, you, you it it's just silly at the end. I mean, um, so and well, even, I think I think one of the things. So so the the counter the counterintelligence or the intelligence gathering aspect of what China now does in the United States was all predated by the technology thefts that were openly negotiated in commercial arrangements because people mm -hmm. wanted to, to dive into the Chinese marketplace. So we, right. we, are, we are actively to blame for the beginnings of this process. And, and if you look at what's going on at some of the finer universities in the United States in terms of sponsored research and other aspects of that. I mean, this guy up at Harvard or MIT, I don't know where it was um, recently, um, you know, they, they are, they, they are quite adept at baiting a trap and then, um, and then fulfilling your sort of baser instincts in the context of, uh, of, of getting you hooked into a situation. Um, you know, our, our group, we, we actually did a lot of work with, with our guys. We had people in a lot of different countries um, on, on the commercial side, but we, we, we did a lot of security work because it was not unusual to be approached um, pretty regularly. Uh, Vietnam was the worst uh, in the context of the work that we were doing in Vietnam. Um, uh, this is well after the war, but uh, it, it is it is a fact of life that it's and Ron can speak to this better than I. But I mean, it, it goes on all day, every day, in every way, and um, you just have to. Most Americans don't have any sensitivity toward it because. I don't know what the percentage is. It's a, but the majority of Americans don't have a passport, so they they're not exposed to yeah. what's going on in, in in a world that many of us have traveled and lived and worked in. Um, but it's you know it's a different deal. Head on well, a swivel. I mean, one of the things that I think that we've seen in the in recent years is that you know in in the past that you, you'd have you know 
people who have, you know, socialistic or communist leanings would be approached and, and tried to be exploited through through that. But nowadays, it's some of this bleeding heart, you know, kind of liberal normality that you see in just general Americans. You know, they're willing to give up the goods just because they think that they're helping, you know, you know the you know, the global community and, and things like this. And this is World kind of, peace. Well, this falls in line with a lot of, I think, what you're seeing with the financial sector. You know, these guys have been completely snowed by uh, China into thinking that China is mm -hmm. uh, is an honest broker and and an equal and they are an equal partner in whatever it is that they're doing in China. I mean, what is BlackRock? I mean, the, the only thing BlackRock has is money, right? That's all they have. Um, it's not like they have a, a, the ability to enact foreign policy goals if uh, if somebody stiffs them on a deal for, you know, $50 billion or something like that. I mean, you know, what are you going to do? How many submarines does uh, uh, with nuclear missiles does BlackRock own? Well, the answer may be one or two. I mean, that's the sad thing. But Well, you know, uh, you got to remember Danny DeVito's line. Uh, everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. So, I mean, it is it is the universal solvent, not water. Yeah. Money is the universal solvent. Uh, so it's, you know, it's, uh, look, you can't, you, you, you have to be realistic about what BlackRock's trying to do. And, and you have to be realistic about what all Western companies are trying to do. Um, you would hope that at some point that they, maintain a balance between loyalty to their home country versus the big shiny object in the east um a lot of those companies fail um uh, we, we we could do a whole show now on disney if you wanted but i'll start with disney um and and a lot of a lot of companies in in the united states um get lost um in the in the pursuit of you know what they think is a, is is the market for the, the the second half of the 21st century. Yeah. Well, you know, my, my for me, I I think it's a it's it's less about like, hey, you need to be a good corporate citizen and and show some loyalty to America. It's not. It's less about that and more about like what kind of risk management are they doing? You know, I mean, I I just don't think that they see the risk that that like I, that, I, that is uh, clear as to you and me. I, 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 I don't I think they're not I think in their mind they're not taking a risk. So when the NBA folds over like a cheap suit for the Chinese uh, Communist Party or Disney does that or or, or uh, you know right on down the line, uh, they, feel, they they think they think that is risk mitigation. Quicks for 999 says with collecting intelligence, how do you bathe global efforts with the right to privacy? Uh, intelligence tools are great. However, uh, those tools ensnare Americans often. Yeah. And so that kind of gets to, um, you know, you know, what we were talking about before the show with Pegasus and things like that. Adam, are you, are you still around or are Adam's, uh, computer, uh, he crashed. I am present. I am present. All right. I didn't, I didn't know if maybe you were, you weren't well, able to, 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 to jump in, but I'd you, love you to get your. What, what, and I need yeah, to go ahead. Let, let me say this, and then I'll I'll leave it to you guys. But but the the concept of the right to privacy exists on the continental United States. Okay, the minute you cross into some other country, and you assume that you have a right to privacy, that's a fool's errand. 
then that goes back to what I'm talking about in terms of being aware when you're outside the United States in terms of what is the environment that you're in. Even if you're just a schlub investment banker who's trying to do something along the lines, you know, if you're if you're touching certain aspects of the economy or you're touching certain aspects of whatever else, you have to assume that you have no right to privacy. And your and your communications are monitored, your actions are monitored. All of that stuff is 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 you know, there's a there's a switch in the back of your head that when you leave Dulles, that switch gets flipped. Yep. Yeah. I mean, if if you're talking about U.S. collection uh, overseas and and we ensnare, I love that word, ensnare Americans. Um, you know, technically we're supposed to. Uh, we we're supposed to delete that stuff within I, I can't remember thirty or sixty days. It, it's covered under Executive Order twelve triple three, unless of course something comes up that you know like oh you're in touch with a foreign intelligence asset or a foreign intelligence organization. Gee, now you're now you're a subject of interest and and that gets turned over to the FBI because they're the ones that investigate that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, Stan's absolutely spot on. If if as soon as soon as you uh, you leave the uh, you know you leave the U.S. airspace, um, you're you're fair game. Uh, uh-huh. You know you it, there's your constitutional rights don't apply. I'm sorry, yeah. and you know you you know if if you're going around you know I I mean I love this. I was on one flight, <clears throat> and it was um, oh Jesus, he's retired now, but he was some big State Department cheese and. And he was with his entourage, and and they they basically took over most of business class, and and uh, and all these guys, all, all his people, all were in State Department logo polo shirts of you know this embassy or or uh, you know diplomatic security service or whatever. I'm going like, good lord, guys, why don't you just put on a freaking neon light and and tell everybody who you are and what you're doing? I mean. The the diplomat himself was, you know, if you were semi-aware, he was fairly recognizable. But, you know, all his entourage was just like, this is who we are. And I, I'm, I'm just shaking my head going, like, you know, people ask me, you know, my seatmates go, so what do you do? Oh, you know, I'm just this or I'm just that or I'm something something very boring and innocuous. Like, and then, you know, basically you put in your uh, your headphones and you're, you know, like, leave me alone. But these people were advertising. It's just. Yeah, there is no even even in U.S. government there is no counterintelligence sense, you know, opsec sense. It's uh, it's disturbing and disgusting. I, I'll be honest with you. The only only place I really see any of that is is in the military, and even with the military here lately, it's it's you know, it's interesting. Oh yeah, um, no, I mean, I, w- I was I was in Frankfurt picking up luggage on, on our way we were going somewhere else and you know that we had to transfer in Frankfurt and, and uh, <clears throat> there's a bunch of guys, a group of guys, they're all wearing their, their big uh, Sunto or their G-Shock watches and they all have on their black fleece jackets and they're all, you know, quite, you know, healthy and physical and da da da. And I'm going like, I, I walk up to them just to, just to, just to bust their balls. And I go, Hey guys, you, so you guys are from Bragg, you know, or, are you are you from the behind the fence or are you with the group? You know, they just looked at oh, oh, oh. come on guys, come up with your cover story. What is it? Come on, come on, hurry up. You know, make it up as you go along. It's funny. Uh, to hey, know. 
Um, hey, real, hey, hey, real quick, I, I know, I know, Stan, I gotta, you got to go. I got to run. Uh, you guys have a great Monday. All right, we'll we'll see you, man. Bye bye. And his internet dies right as he leaves. That's appropriate. Um, all right, yep. so I'm sorry, Adam. You were saying. Yeah, so it's funny. So after, uh, so I, I worked in the Treasury compound, and um, all of a sudden, uh, after uh, the January sixth events, all of a sudden we had a whole bunch of like Secret Service agents are usually very fit, anyways. But they all they look like they look have a, a hybrid look of cops as well as like soldiers. So it's like you, there's a there's a total like thing that a, a Secret Service agent looks like. All of a sudden, there's yeah. a group of guys walking around with flannel around the compound, and I uh, I turned to one of them I'm like, "Hey man, you like glow really glow in the dark? Are you with group?" And he's like, he just like stares at me, and I'm like, "Yep, yeah, that's a yes." Uh, and then uh, I was walking around, and I saw actually a buddy of mine who's with group walking around, and he's like, he's like, "Yeah, I heard about you. You're the you're the guy that keeps calling out our people walking around." I'm like, "Yep," but you know, so like talking about. I, I had a really good uh, thing earlier, but like, you know, talking about privacy, it's like with uh, basically the digitization of surveillance tools, like what, what does privacy will mean in the future? It's going to be very difficult to actually like right. say that. Like there's a couple of pieces of like civilian surveillance technology that's doing wonders in the world, um, like Othram, uh, which is a company that's been uh, solving uh uh, cold murders in the United States, uh, like talk about multi-decade old murders using uh, advanced uh, high-tech DNA sampling systems, right? That is um, that they're able to actually recover old DNA, uh, blah, blah, blah. And they've actually, like through this technology alone, they've actually been able to uh, get a bunch of people uh, set free who were uh, falsely convicted primarily off of dental records because dental records aren't as accurate as people pretend they are it's actually a bullshit science but neither here nor there um and so like with these technologies just starting to come into play uh uh facial uh, recognition software becoming ubiquitous um you're you know you're gonna have to start asking the question what does privacy mean and one of the things is like you have to ask yourself who owns facebook who owns the, these types of platforms because you know, like you have literal 